Hello and welcome to the Alcasmi Foundation podcast, our first of 2020. My name is Ethan David Lee, and today I've sat down with Rasselheimer Fine Arts Festival US honorary visiting artist Keely Ria. Keely is a photographer who, informed by ancestry, that is, Nanai and Chinese American, explores the human relationship to the natural world from different cultural perspectives. He's an award-winning contributor to the National Geographic magazine, as well as other major publications. Welcome, Keely. Right, thanks for having me. Um, first of all, can you start by telling us a little bit about who you are and what your work is? Oh, it's a small, light question. Just yes, yeah, a small <laughs> one. <laughs> um, well, uh, I am a photographer, and I work primarily on issues of... Uh, uh, well, uh, indigenous communities, and um, I primarily work in the circumpolar Arctic, so I work in a lot of cold places. Yeah, so uh, what's, what's your background? Um, uh, well, so um, I'm Nanai, which is Siberian native, as well as Chinese-American, um, so to a large degree, um, I am very American, but um, I'm what you call a third culture kid, so having been uh, raised and born in cultures that are different than that of my parents and also spend a lot of time in multiple cultures. I'm at home everywhere, but also never at home totally in in any single place. Uh, The places I feel the most comfortable are often um, northern indigenous communities. What is it about those communities that uh, makes you feel really comfortable with them? Well, I think a big part of it is uh, that there's this deep connection to the land in those Mm -hmm. places and I really love how um, people connect with both the, the land and the sea. So uh, um, traditional communities uh, often have this sort of uh, connection to uh, the land in a way that's very much deeper and more interesting than that's kind of superficial um, connection to the land that you get. Uh, you know, I mean, you can say, for example, that a hiker in any place has a connection to land. That's definitely true. And, and, for, and for a lot of city dwellers, um, someone who goes hiking a lot can know a lot about uh, the natural world. Um, but someone who comes from a culture that, that has had thousands of years in one place, um, that's it, that knows that one place very well is a much deeper connection to that, that, that place than um, someone who's just learned it. Um, you know, from it within a single generation. So it's a really big difference. Thank you. Um, and how do you end up coming to, to photograph these communities? Um, you know, I think really, I, I just end up being very passionate about just going, wanting to go and, and um, be a part of the communities, you know, like to experience and to find out what's going on. I'm like, you know, I'm very fascinated by a lot of the, the cultural revival for in traditional communities of so people bringing back um, stuff like traditional boat building, um, uh, hunting and fishing, uh, medicinal plants, and uh, how, how communities come together around um, living close to the land and all, all of that kind of stuff. It's of great fascination to me and um, interest because I think, you know, when I look around at the rest of the world, uh, I can see that um, the further that we get away from our connection to the natural world, <laughs> The, uh, the weirder a lot of our human problems are. <laughs> what is it about photography specifically as a, as a medium of art that, that attracted you to telling the stories of the Arctic specifically through, through that artistic discipline? Um, 
I would say that photography is has an instant gratification that is hard to get with uh, other mediums, you know. But but real and, and the longer that I do it, the more that I understand that uh, photography is not about the. It's not actually about that at all. It's not about the moment that you click the shutter because it's really about. The, the days, months, years that you work on leading up to the moment that you click the shutter. All the background research that you do all the time you spend building the trust with people. Uh, all of the understanding of light and color uh, that come into play. And oftentimes the days and weeks you've been waiting for something, for a picture to come together before you press the shutter. So it is um, actually a lot more like a painting than I had originally understood when I first got into photography. But the nice thing about um, photographs is that some of them, the, the learning curve and the, the technique is uh, shallow compared to something like uh, painting. Mm -hmm. you see, so for a painter to be good, the, the, to master the technique takes uh, you know, uh, years and years of hard work. Whereas with the camera, the technical part can go on forever. You can keep learning that stuff forever, but you really, uh, as a photographer, if you're honest with yourself, uh, m most of the the difficult technical stuff you can learn just in a few months if you work hard on it. And so that that means that the technical part is out of the way and you can start thinking about the creative stuff, um, how to tell a story, think about all the higher level things. And that is great because that's what I want to do with my art. You know, rather than spending all the time working on the technical part, I can get right past that and go straight to the part that's important, which is telling stories. And do you specifically want to tell stories about um the Arctic region, the people there, the land. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. I, I think that storytelling is a very important mm -hmm. part of, not only for me culturally, but not just mm -hmm. as me as a person. I've always mm -hmm. been a storyteller and I've come from a long line of storytellers. Um, but yeah, I'm telling the story of Arctic regions and especially of indigenous communities, which mm -hmm. often um, don't really have many insiders and telling their stories, you know, it's mm -hmm. um, generally speaking, it, it, historically, it's all, always been someone from very far away. It's usually a colonial power of some kind coming in to tell people's stories for them. Um, and so I, I find it um, almost a responsibility as an ambassador between worlds to go in and try to spend enough time to understand a culture well enough. Uh, and to build up enough trust over time that I can mm -hmm. responsibly tell their stories to the, to the outside world. And also, and you know, the other thing is I remember that my primary audience isn't um, the people who is reading the stories uh, that, that is in terms of like being the mainstream audience. I think actually a lot of times I remember that my primary audience is the people in the photographs themselves. Um, they are the ones who the stories are for, especially for the youth of the community, who, so that they can see themselves as something more than, uh, uh, they can see their culture as uh, something to look up to. And I think that's a really great aspiration to have, is to produce stories where the youth themselves look at the culture and say, hey, that's something I want to do. That's who I am. I'm proud to be that. You've spoken a little bit about about trust and trust within the community. Um, can you then talk a little bit about uh, that process before before you t take that first image and, and the trust that you have to build up and what and what that entails? Yeah, I mean, there's there's different levels of trust that you know you could build, uh, and it depends on how long 
I have for an assignment, but typically with indigenous communities, um, with native communities, especially ones that uh, have uh, long history of people coming in and just taking, 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 um, they don't trust outsiders, and for good reason. So um, with those kinds of stories, I spend a lot of time. I, I, you know, a lot of times I will spend days um, or uh, a week before of spending that time getting to know people before uh, I'll even pull out a camera. You know, a lot of times I just get hang out with the kids. Um, I go and butcher a seal, um, you know, because people need help, you know, um, uh, chop wood or whatever it is that, that um, helps people with the day-to-day -day chores of life. I just participate and be a part of everyone's lives. You know, I don't want to just stand around and watch what's going on, but I wanted to participate. And then pretty soon, um, the trust building just happens because uh, eventually people realize, oh, uh, you're not just here to take something, but you're here giving who you are to, you're participating. Um, and that becomes a really important part of it. Um, and of course, by, by treating the, the places that I go as um, a place where I'm trying to fit in, um, I eventually do fit in. You know, I eventually, well, not maybe not all the way, but I fit in a lot more. Uh, at, eventually, when my story is done, those people are, are friends, they're family to me, and so the, those are, that becomes a really important thing. Can you talk a little bit about the relationship you have with the, the communities you've, you've photographed? Are there any specific communities which you remember more than others, and, and, and why? Yeah, um, well, I, I, I'd say that I remember all of the communities well, but there are some of which I feel closer than others. Certainly the, the, the longest term project I've ever worked on is a story called People of the Whale about the uh, Inupiaq of North Alaska. And um, I spent just so much time there, eight months over four years uh, working on that story. So I got to know everyone quite well and they're all people who I consider to be friends. You know, I still talk with them on Facebook and um, uh, you know, like uh, when it's the kids' birthdays, I send up uh, presents and stuff like that. So um, I think that community is extra special to me um, because of how deeply involved I am in people's lives and the sort of ongoing drama that's going on in this, that you get in a small village in rural Alaska that um, I kind of know what's going on in that drama all the time. <laughs> it's nice to be a part of it. I, I love yeah. knowing that and I feel like I'm still connected even when I'm not there. When you're going to these communities as, as an artist, how does that uh, affect the way that you, you might see things or experience things or um, interact with, uh, with the community? Well, you, you always bring in your biases, no matter what it is. Even if you're covering your own community, um, the people that you grew up with, even if you're doing a story on your own family, you're always going to come in with your own biases. Um, and so it's important to understand what your biases are. The more aware of it, the, uh, the better. And then also, it's, I think it's also important to just do a lot of research about the place that you're going to. Uh, and the more that you talk to people on the ground and get to know them, then the more that you understand about what's going on. So um, it helps to have a lot of experience in a particular uh, set of cultural circumstances, you know, to, um, you know, like Arctic communities by and large are similar in a lot of ways, but I would never, um, I've never assumed that um, 
that an indigenous community, say of Alaska, is similar to indigenous community for West Africa. You know, they're, they're, they're so different in that, those ways. But, but an Alaskan community is quite similar to a Greenlandic community. Uh, and, uh, culturally, they're quite similar, and so I can use a lot of the same rules uh, that I've learned, or a lot of the same lessons I've learned from one place, and and use them in another place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's good to always be just open-minded and understand that we don't know anything <laughs> really. That <laughs> uh, things are always different wherever you go, uh, and should be paying attention to what's new, what what's different, and where my where my blind spots are. Um, I do think that uh, the research gives you some really helpful things though in like at, at the very least what you learn is what not to do, the really important big uh, taboos and things that are sacred that you don't want to do. For example, it's really common for um, Western journalists to go into a community and uh, try to do something like photograph a ceremony. And that's not something that I, uh, Native peoples of North America really look well upon. <laughs> um, you don't want to photograph ceremonies um, in general. This is assumed to be taboo unless otherwise explicitly said so. So that that's a basic thing that um, I think is hard for if you're not if you're not indigenous. That doesn't. It's not a thing that you would think that that's true. You know, it's non-intuitive. Uh, but doing a little bit of research um, and having experience in the field, then you start to understand that that's a, that's a, that's a rule that you need to abide by. So. Yeah. Uh, so this leads me to a question uh, about, about ethics. Uh, uh-huh. And when you're an outsider coming into a story that is uh, not directly your own, um, and even if it is directly your own, what, can you talk a little bit about ethics surrounding Yeah, stories? sure. I mean, um, yeah, it... I guess I would say that this isn't even necessarily a question of ethics, really. It's just a, it's more a question of, uh, of having enough perspectives out there. So, so one of the problems with outsider uh, perspectives is it's not that they're inherently wrong, um, but it's just that it's all we get oftentimes. So, you know, with something like breaking news, for example, it is important for outsiders to be able to go into a situation because you want, um, if uh, a bomb blows up on a bridge somewhere um, in another country and it happens all of a sudden and you want it to, you want that to be in the newspaper, then you need to send a reporter there and you don't necessarily have time. Um, You need a skilled journalist to go and cover that story, um, a skilled photographer to go in and take the pictures. And they don't necessarily need to uh, be deeply involved in the, the community and the place to really understand what's going on. So th- that outsider viewpoint is totally fine. But what's, what's happened over time with uh, inside of uh, journalism is that there is only outsider perspectives. You know, it's rare to get insider perspectives. And so it's heavily skewed. Because we're always interpreting with you, you're always interpreting with your own biases, and so when you send Western journalists to non-Western countries um, or to non-Western cultures, then you end up with all of these biases showing up all the time. So you never are able to see past the biases because you don't know um, what it's like to have someone who's insider actually reporting on it. So nowadays, journalism has shifted a lot, and so we are starting to see. A lot more insider perspectives. People are hiring staff that are um, that are commissioning journalists and photographers that 
um, are closer to the communities that they cover, understand these things better. And then we're also just getting a lot of people from the communities themselves that are training their own, their own people to learn how to do the job of journalism or to do the job of the arts and media so that they can uh, fairly represent the thing that they know really well from the inside. So we're getting a lot more insider perspectives and it just gives us a richer, more um, nuanced view, a better understanding of what something, of what is going on in the world um, instead of just getting um, one side. So you were talking there a little bit about, uh, about journalism. Yeah. Um, what's, what's the difference between, between your work and, and, and photojournalism? Yeah, well, I, I would say that uh, I I would say that my work is documentary photography, which is it's just a very subtly different than photojournalism. Uh, photojournalism tends to be uh, stuff that is breaking news or stuff that's happening, um, and we need to report on it right now. It's something that's happening that's very um, it's very current events. Uh, so if a war breaks out, then um, you want to know what's happening day by day, blow by blow. Then that's um, what a job of a photojournalist is to cover uh, what's happening day to day. The documentary photographers tend to look at things um, in the long term. You're looking at stories over a long period of time. We're looking for stuff that is more timeless and um, gives us a deeper, uh, richer understanding of something uh, rather than just like single events or one-off events that are happening all of a sudden. So um, I think a documentary in general is just one of those things that really helps us to understand a lot more. Like, for example, I think, um, you know, Western countries view the Middle East as this place that's kind of always caught in turmoil. You know, there's always a lot of, like, uh, they think of it as, like, there's always war going on over here, or there's always strife, or think of Africa as a place where there's a bunch of uh, uh, people that are starving all the time, which is not true at all. But the reason we um, uh, Western countries have that idea is because the you, people are getting their news just through breaking news, and breaking news is all about covering the noteworthy things that are happening, events that are happening, and so and there's a real bias towards negativity, things that are happening that are uh, noteworthy because oh, if someone dies, it's it's noteworthy. But documentary is all about looking at stuff that is more. Uh, timeless. It's like what's happening um, in the everyday lives of everyday people is a common subject for documentary photographers. You know, so we want to be able to show the world as it exists, like um, in uh, it, with a specific theme across the board. We want to look a lot, uh, look at what life is like um, from the viewpoint of, say, like a kid. You know, or we want to. Um, we're looking at stuff that is hopefully much deeper rather than um, single points in time. We're looking at things that are, have a real sense of a continuity to them. What, what is it about a story that uh, either attracts you to it or makes you realize that's, that is the story that, that you want to tell, that you think that needs, needs to be told? I, it's really hard to know, actually. It's, I think it's really hard to know what is the thing that's going to be attractive. Um, I, but I do find that oftentimes I go into a story with a certain idea from the research, but uh, I keep myself open to what's actually going to happen, what, what's really there. And a lot of times what's really happening is much more interesting than the idea that I came up with <laughs> to begin <laughs> with. You know? So uh, then I get fascinated by it and um, I'm often uh, pulled in. But it's really hard to say what it is that um, is happening, what kinds of themes or um, ideas 
um, are happening that will thread themselves into a story that I get excited about I, because I'm just a, a person with uh, all kinds of strange uh, inclinations towards things. You know, like my specific set of things that I'm really interested in is just um, who I am as a person. So they can be strange and idiosyncratic. Like um, I find uh, things related to uh, traditional hunting and gathering really exciting and interesting. Um, whereas um, uh, I find uh, like I, I find stories about urban living to be not very exciting. So, so I'm drawn to certain things and other people will be drawn to other things. And so it's ho hopefully it's through a whole bunch of us that we get a better picture of what's going on. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not going to cover everything. I'm just drawn to the things that I really love. And um, I don't even know what those are a lot of times until, until I'm seeing them. So as these stories are unfolding in your um, and you're up in the Arctic, how what what does a typical assignment look like, um, or an example if there isn't a typical? Uh, sure, yeah. Um, there, you're right. There isn't exactly a typical story. Mm -hmm. There isn't exactly a typical story. Um, but um, you know, uh, they and they run the gamut from stuff that is uh, more newsworthy and more like uh, current events to things that are. Um, a bit timeless and uh, something that's more human interest. Like I, I did a story for Vogue on uh, on women who run the Iditarod dog sled race across Alaska. So that's a thousand miles of um, of running dogs from one side of Alaska to the other side of Alaska, and uh, it's it's a very old race. Uh, and nowadays, women are taking up a higher and higher percentage. Uh, it's about a third of the um, mushers are women now. And so it was really interesting to go and spend time. Um, I spent about two and a half weeks working on this story for Vogue, following women mushers as they were training and preparing for the Iditarod and their relationship with the dogs. And so that, it was uh, really cool and pretty amazing. And the challenges turned out to be not what I expected. Um, the main challenge wasn't um, figuring out uh, the women's relationships to the dogs at all or, or not really about um, the, the gender issues were much less significant than I thought. The main issues that I was struggling with was with the weather and climate change, actually. Because while I was there, even though it was February in Alaska, which is definitely deep winter still, <laughs> um, the weather was so warm that um, there was no snow on the ground in many places and um, the dogs could only be run at night because they would overheat if they were running during the day. So that was a big challenge uh, mm -hmm. and, and interesting to think about. But yeah, like the assignments are typically something that I pitch. So especially in the world that I am involved in, which is mainly um, stories about uh, the North or stories about indigenous communities, typically my editors don't know a lot about this section of the world and also specifically about uh, what's going on inside of the indigenous world. It's, you know, um, it's so much more insular that they count on people like me uh, who know a lot about the, our specific subjects, our, our specific uh, worlds to come up with the ideas uh, so that, and then they'll look at them and say, okay, this is a great idea or it's not a great idea that people will like this or there's, some, there's a great story here visually. Mm -hmm. Like the photographs will be really compelling. And so then we go back and forth and refine that story until we figure out whether there's something that'll work or not. Mm -hmm. um, so most of my stories are, are typically that way. Um, sometimes an editor will come up to me and say, I really want to work with you on something 
that's loosely involving this. Like we really want to do store in Greenland, um, but I don't know what's going on in Greenland. Uh, what's going on in Greenland? You know, and so I'll I'll, I'll think about it, and then um, I'll spend a day or two just uh, kind of racking my brain. But usually I keep um, a whole list of potential stories in in a spreadsheet, and as I as I come across. Um, new ideas when I'm working, I will just write them down in that spreadsheet and then I pull them back up later when I'm, I'm looking for story ideas or thinking about stuff like that. So uh, that's, that's how the uh, uh, assignments evolve a lot of times. Sometimes editors will come out of the blue and say, hey, we really want to do um, a specific story on a specific thing. Uh, but that's becoming less and less common uh, nowadays. And it's especially less common for me because I work on specialized areas that people tend not to know very much about. This world of ed editors and, and magazines. Mm -hmm. um, what is that specifically? Uh, is is in the U.S. Uh, most of the time? Um, no, um, I, I work uh, for inter a lot of international publications as well. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, uh, German magazines, French magazines, mm -hmm. um, and uh, of course mostly American publications. But yeah, there's uh, quite a lot of international stories that I do, and it tends to be the same. It's done the, the, the same way. Um, yeah, the way that all of it is assigned and dealt with is more or less the same. Um, what I don't see, though, is I, I don't tend to get uh, assignments from some sections of the world. Like in Asia, I don't get uh, any assignments from Asian magazines, even though they will license stories that I've already shot. So if I've already photographed something, then it's common for them to buy um, a story that I've already done, and then we'll work together on editing it. But I typically don't get assignments from those places, so I, I don't know uh, why that is exactly. Uh, it's probably related to a business model kind of thing. But media has a is mm, got a certain power in, in the Western world that, and um, places like China, for example. Um, really prefer to use uh, local uh, Chinese um, media folks rather than trying to hire from uh, outside the country. Moving uh, back a little bit uh, mm -hmm. towards the stories, and how do you craft your your stories? What what goes into you laying out the photographs you've taken on on a trip, and and choosing the ones that uh, that tell the tell the story that. Uh, encapsulates the, the experience or the people that, that happened. Yeah, it, it is it is complicated. Uh, making the edit for a story is uh, it begins right at the very right when you are formulating the story. So I actually go in with an idea of certain certain kinds of images that need to get need to be done. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm building the story as I go, um, and then uh, but ultimately when it comes down to it. Um, in the end, I have a bunch of photographs that have already been shot, and then I know we know what the story is. We know what the themes are. So we go back through when we look for the strongest images. We look for things that illustrate the theme, and we want every single picture to talk to to um, include several of those themes at the same time. And we want to be able to talk about every photograph has to be able to tell me at least three different things. <laughs> Um, it needs to be informative, it needs to pull us in, um, and then it needs to address the different themes that the story is carrying across. And so we want to be able to do all those things and then 
um, most stories in a print magazine are going to run 10 images at the most. Um, a lot, we're getting away with more now that uh, there's a lot of stories that are, uh, have gone online. So online, we might run 15, 16 images or something like that. But for the most part, we're still looking at short edits of images. So we go through and we um, have to cut a lot of images and it's very difficult. <laughs> um, but it, it's nice too. It makes you really good at, um, at seeing how to get a story across in the, in the, mm -hmm. with the least number of images and how to make the photographs themselves better and, and tell you more uh, in uh, less space for sure. I learned a lot from my editors because they're very, very good. They've seen all the best work <laughs> that's out there and they, they really ask you to go out and produce stuff with no excuses. Uh, mm -hmm. Final question, um, when Russell Keimer, um, what, do you, what have you learned from Russell Keimer? Um, has anything surprised or inspired you and what do you think you're going to take back to, uh, to the US and uh, to your travels and, and work? Well, I think, um, I think one of the things that surprised me the most about being here actually is uh, how international uh, the UAE is. It, it's, it, it's such a high percentage of people from other places, and it really strikes me as like, kind of like a modern, uh, modern crossroads, almost like a, a Silk Road kind of place where so many different uh, cultures intersect. And I find that to be really fascinating that this place has built it up in this way that's so intentional um, and very interesting to see how it all plays out. I think one of the things that's most interesting to me also is just seeing how, um, how much incredible tolerance there is for all of these different cultures coming together and working together in this, in this way that really works. Whereas um, most, m most of the places that I've gone and been and seen and there's a really strong tension um, between people who consider themselves of that place and then other people who are considered the immigrants, mm -hmm. people who are coming in from the outside. And um, that tension is what drives a lot of what, you know, how politics uh, happen mm -hmm. in a place. You know, here, I'm sure that some of that, I don't doubt that at all, but at the same time too, that tension seems much less. It seems like this is a place that really embraces people coming in from the outside and bringing with them their own cultures and knowledge and way of seeing the world. And that's pretty cool. It's very interesting. Um, it's, it, it's a lot, in some ways, that idea is even, uh, I think that was at one point part of the American dream. And uh, the, the funny thing is that America's kind of lost that, but it's happening here, so it's very cool. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you. Thanks so much for, for joining us today. Um, Annie and Russell Kammer, uh, hope you enjoyed the rest of your trip. Thanks for talking to me, Ethan. Yeah, no problem. Thanks so much.